Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast, coming live from Batavia, Ohio. Not really live. You're going to hear this on tape delay. Um, if you want to email us, we strongly encourage uh, all the feedback, constructive criticism, questions you can muster at fightthegoodfight10 at yahoo.com. And you can also find this podcast and other little bits and pieces on the uh, Fight the Good Fight Bible Podcast on Facebook. Is that correct, Dylan? Yes, sir. Okay, and uh, today's kind of kind of cool. We're going to start what we're going to call a um, trilogy on righteousness. We're going to do three segments on the term righteousness. We hope, I guess our objective would be when you get done with these three segments on righteousness, you'd have a good understanding, a real true understanding of what the word righteousness means and the fact that God alone is righteous. That's I think that's something everybody in the church should know and kind of does know. We kind of prance around it that God alone is righteous. But if we can't really define the word righteous or righteousness, it's not of a lot of value to us. I've heard a lot of ministers, preachers try to talk about righteousness means doing the right thing, being straight, being just, being equitable. And if you are limited to just a concordance and a little bit of Hebrew and Greek uh, knowledge of the language, that's what you're going to come up with. We're going to dig a little deeper. It's going to be quite a bit more than that. We're going to we're going to get a definition and talk about uh, basically three things. The first uh, segment here of the trilogy will be just an intro to righteousness, and we'll talk a little bit about the definition of that, some of the things I covered there, I suppose. Uh, the second will be entitled, or titled, I'm not sure what the right word is, titled, um, The Two Great Powers of God's Righteousness. Um, that should be an interesting one. And the third one has to do with the most important issue is salvation. We're going to talk about the three miracles uh, of salvation involving righteousness. Uh, you can't really be a legitimate Bible student without knowing of righteousness. It's the most important word in the Bible. Bar none, when we talk about holiness and worship and justice and justification and predestination, whatever you want to throw in there, everything starts with righteousness uh, because all things are done by the power of God's righteousness. Man's incapable of doing anything eternally significant, spiritual. Uh, all things are done by the power of God's righteousness. We hope we can convince you at the end of this trilogy that that's a true statement, that when people go to hell, people will go to hell. Uh, and the reason for that, the answer is the power of God's righteousness. If you were to ask, why do bad things come into the lives of Christian people? Why, why does tragedy strike by the power of God's righteousness is the answer. If you were to say, why are people going to heaven? We would be much more apt to say that. If I said, Dylan, <clears throat> why do you think you're going to heaven? What did you do to earn your way to heaven? You'd probably say, nothing. I repented of my sins. <clears throat> I can certainly I can certainly do enough sin to keep me out of heaven. I can do nothing to earn my, my way into heaven, into the kingdom of God. So we'll say you get to heaven by the power of God's righteousness too. So it's probably worth a good solid look at this um, truth. I won't call it a concept, an idea. We'll call it the truth of righteousness. A um, couple of verses we want to look at. Uh, Luke 23, 47. I'm going to kind of slow down and read some verses out of the scripture. Luke, we'll start in Luke 23, 47. And I'm going to turn there real quick if you'd bear with me. Sometimes I get rolling really fast and 
I don't know why I'm just kind of a fast talker and that's not always beneficial to an audience so if you got a Bible with you and we encourage you to have one on your phone a lot of people do it on their phone now uh, Luke 23:47. Um, make sure you have the right thing here Luke 23:47. the narrative of Jesus on the cross we're all familiar with that and we pick it up in verse 46 actually and it says when Jesus cried out with a loud voice he said father into thy hands I commend my spirit and having said thus, he gave up the ghost. The scene is that Jesus is giving his life. Um, you know the scripture pretty well. Um, Jesus talks about you know, this, this truth again, that nobody takes my life. I lay it down willingly for my friends. Uh, there's a lot of controversy. It's a, kind of a good place to insert this. You know, there was a lot of controversy, uh, especially around the time of like the Passion of the Christ movie about who killed Jesus that did the Jews kill Jesus? Did the Romans kill Jesus? Who's responsible for killing Jesus? Jesus. I think that's a legit question. Who's responsible for killing Jesus? Uh, two different answers, though. The, the difference in who's responsible for killing Jesus and who actually did the killing are two different answers. We are all responsible for killing Jesus because our sin put him on the cross. Right. So we're responsible. The penalty of sin is death. Somebody had to die. But as far as who killed Jesus, uh, a really good a really good place to learn and kind of put in your spirit about righteousness. Jesus Christ was a righteous man. The next verse says, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. Only a power of righteousness can kill a power of righteousness. An unrighteous man cannot kill a righteous man. Only a power of righteousness can kill a righteous man. In segment two of the trilogy, when we get into the two great powers of God's righteousness, we're going to see where, in all truth, one power of God's righteousness was ordered to kill another power of God's righteousness to bring us life. And it's going to be shocking because you've probably never heard that in the church before. It was in there years ago, but the minute we started confusing in our churches, we started confusing the word righteousness and the concept of righteousness with goodness and morality uh, we muddy the water so bad you can't hardly really see it anymore. So there's a lot of people running around thinking that they had said the sinner's prayer and made a decision for Christ, and they've been redeemed, they've been saved, they've been baptized. But until you're experiencing the righteousness of God in your in your being, you're none of those things. So our our verse here, 23, 46, and 47, is 47. When the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, "Certainly." This was a righteous man. He made a declaration, a confession made with the mouth that Jesus Christ was a righteous man. So we're going to ask ourselves, what's that mean? First, we'll say this. Jesus Christ was the only righteous man ever to walk the face of this earth. There's been none other righteous men, no righteous men in the flesh. There is no righteousness in the flesh. Jesus Christ is the God of our spirit. He imputes righteousness. We'll talk about that in episode two or three, probably more in three. Uh, how he imputes righteousness and he lends us his righteousness, but it's all his righteousness. So we could go back and forth and try to um, discern and read some books about what righteousness is, but I think I'm just going to tell you. I think we're just going to share it here. If you've got something to write with or we can go back, you might want to write this down. What made Jesus Christ different than every other human being was the fact he was righteous. And he had the following abilities. Jesus Christ always knew right from wrong. 
There was never a situation, Dylan, when Jesus Christ was faced with a situation and didn't know what to do. He always knew right from wrong. Um, I could uh, go through hundreds of stories, possibly hundreds of stories about they would ask him questions and he would answer in such a way that would just befuddle and confound people because he would answer in a righteous matter, a manner. You know, who was John the Baptist? And he would say, I don't know, what did you think he was, a prophet or what? And he would just confound people because he always knew what people's motives were and he always knew right from wrong. It might be possible for a person to grow in, you know, human morality and goodness and, and uh, intellect to such an extent where most of the time we know right from wrong. I could argue that most people know right from wrong in this world, generally speaking. They know it's wrong to harm people and holler at people and kill people. We kind of know that. It's getting eh, getting a little, little tougher now with the whole sexual orientation thing. We're not sure how to handle that, what's right, what's wrong. Jesus Christ would have no issue with that whatsoever. He would always know right from wrong. So let's assume for a minute that we have an aspect of that in our lives that sometimes we know right from wrong. And when we do know right from wrong, we have another huge dilemma that we we discover we know right from wrong. Then we have another another situation we have to make the right choice. Yeah, That's the tough one. Because a lot of us say, I knew that was wrong to do, but I did it anyway, Michael. I had to do it. Uh, I was forced to. When I was a kid, I had to steal the quarters out of the firehouse because I was hungry and I had to eat, so I had to steal the quarters. When I got caught, that was my excuse that I was hungry. I don't have any parents. I had to steal the quarters to buy some hot dogs next door. And the response was, no, you didn't. You could ask somebody to help you, and they could have bought you a hot dog. And that's true. So I'm not a righteous man. I'm not a righteous person because I knew right from wrong, and I made a wrong choice. Jesus Christ did not have that problem. He always knew right from wrong, and he always made the right choice. He was impeccable. He was. It was. He did not have the ability to do wrong. He was a righteous man. So when you think of righteousness, you should think of a standard far above human capacity. Man doesn't have any righteousness. Never will have any righteousness. Has no ability to do a righteous act, and never will have an ability to do a righteous act outside of the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ in their life, which makes us Christians, right? right. Not just Christ followers, but Christians. Christos people with the Spirit of God communing in us, and we're accompanying Him, and we are one with Him. We are in communion with Him, and He lends us His righteousness. We call that imputed righteousness, and Romans calls it this imputed righteousness, this imputed perfection that we can call upon in times of great need, great distress. But practically speaking, we call on it when we know we need to make a decision between right and wrong and follow through, and we can't do it ourselves. A great example of this is the, the, the difference in, in, in deliverance, and this gets into this idea of deliverance. You walk into any you know, charismatic-type church, and they will holler and scream about, we're going to pray for deliverance, and we're going to pray you through for deliverance, or we're going to be delivered from this ailment or delivered from this or whatever. Deliverance, again, is done by the power of God's righteousness. It's not done by anybody praying or speaking in tongues or anything like that. It's done by the power of God's righteousness, and here's exactly how it works. Uh, we have a young man with us, Michael. How are you, Michael? I am 15. You're 15. So Michael's got some hormones raging over there and probably likes to look at some babes walking down the street and this and that. So let's say we teach Michael that, Michael, now it's wrong to lust after women. Well, we agree that it's wrong to lust after women, right? to objectify women. We agree with that misogyny. Probably not the best yeah. thing in the world. So we're going to teach Michael, Michael, whatever you do, we don't want you lusting after women. And when you see a good-looking woman down the street, I want you to, to within yourself somehow, turn away from that and not look and not have any lustful desires for that woman. 
So let's say Michael walking down the street and he sees some you know cute girl and he looks at her, oh, I shouldn't do that. The guy at the church told me that's wrong. It's it's sinful. It's evil. And I shouldn't look. And he turns his head and walks the other way. Well, good job, Michael. That worked, right? For that time, it worked. Well, the next day, he sees a little nicer looking woman, got a few less clothes on, looking really good. And he's like, there it is again, doggone it. You know what? I've been told by the church and by the preacher that I'm not allowed to look at good-looking women like that and lust after them, so I'm going to turn my head and get over that, right? Good. You're two for two. I will guarantee you at some point that's going to that's gonna fail you. At some point, you're going to look a little too long. You're going to pitch your tent a little too close to Sodom, as the Bible says, and you're going to give in to some lustful, thought, lustful thoughts and maybe some lustful desires. And then you'll start justifying those lustful thoughts and desires, and pretty soon you'll be doing those lustful thoughts and desires. And if you listen to our podcast about the devil made me do it, you'll learn it's not Satan doing anything. It's Michael and his lustful desires taking control of him, and Satan's happy to put the good-looking girl in front of him, but that's his desire. And pretty soon we're rationalizing and justifying and getting girls pregnant and having... And there you go. That's not a product of our society, gang. It's not a product of taking taking God out of our society. As a matter of fact, it's not possible to take God out of society, is it? Michael, is it possible for people to take God out of society? No. The last I checked, God was omnipresent. He's everywhere. You're not taking God out of anything. What is possible is to take the truth of God's righteousness out of a society. If you take the truth of God's righteousness out of a society, you're open the door for all kinds of things. And gang, those of you who are listening are in a church somewhere, that's our responsibility. That's not the government's responsibility. It's not the ACLU's responsibility. It's not the moral majority's responsibility. It's the responsibility of the Christian church to present the truth of God's righteousness. So here's what we're going to do. Michael, we're not going to teach you when you see a good-looking girl and have some potentially lustful thoughts to pull within yourself and stand firm in your quote-unquote morality or your own righteousness what you're going to do is pray to jesus christ and say jesus i'm a young man 15 years old i have strong sexual desires for that woman i think she's really good looking and if you don't deliver me from if you do not deliver me from this by the power of your righteousness i'm going to do it now dylan if jesus my gracious lord says you know what jim michael i will deliver you from that what's happened there have we been delivered by our own goodness our own powers or we've have we been delivered by the power of God's righteousness at that point? By the power of power God's of God. righteousness. Say it, by the power of God's righteousness. You see how easy it is to get confused when we teach people in churches to live good, clean lives. We certainly should try to live the best life we can lead. What we should not do is do it in our own sinful powers of the flesh because yeah. it is simply going to destroy us. It's going to devastate our lives. It's going to cause, well, it has caused the great confusion in our church. Why do people walk into churches and make a decision for Christ and get baptized and put on a t-shirt and then they have the same exact problems they had their whole life and can do nothing about it? Well, here's why. There's a failure in presenting the truth of God's righteousness in the church. Most who listen to this podcast, there might be 10 people or 10 million at some point, I don't know, have probably never even heard a sermon about righteousness. You probably heard the word bantered about, but now the church avoids it like the plague because they don't have it themselves. They don't know it themselves, so they certainly cannot teach it themselves. But we're going to do just that. So for this introduction, just a quick review, we're going to define the word righteousness as the ability to always know right from wrong and always make the right choice. Nobody within the sound of my voice in the whole world has that ability in themselves. Only Jesus Christ has that because he was the only righteous man. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, our father Abraham, who we call the patriarch or the father of the faithful, if you go back there, it's in Genesis chapter 15. If you want to jump all the way back to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, 
I kind of like to call the Old Testament, and you'll get to know this. I have some quirky ways of saying things. I kind of like to call it the, the, the old Bible museum. Look, but don't touch. You can look back there at the museum stuff. It's behind glass now. It's not for us to put in our lives, Michael. We're not supposed to be looking for things in the Old Testament to incorporate into our life in grace. In the Old Testament, you've got what we would call the law of the Father, the Ten Commandment law of righteousness, which nobody, nobody can measure up to. The more you try, the more frustrated you become. It was given that we might know we're sinners, that all mouths be stopped, the whole world become guilty before God, the strength of sin, all those good things. So that's behind glass. When we look at this Genesis chapter 15, and we look at Abraham, we're looking at the museum, but we see something very interesting. So give me a second to get there. This might beat me too, and I think I'm right on this. It may be bad to probably prepare a little better than what I tend to do, I guess. We have the story of Abraham being called from his old country to the new country. And in chapter 15, um, we'll start at verse 3 where it says, Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. This is the whole promise of Abraham. He'll be a great nation. Our faith is certainly born from this truth. Our Christian faith our Christian faith today, gang, walks right out of the Old Covenant. Christianity walks right out of Judaism. But be advised, it walks out of Judaism. Jesus Christ, the righteous Messiah, the waters of Shiloh, the Messiah, Yeshua, whatever you like to call him, and you probably should just refer to him as the Anointed One, Jesus the Christ. When Jesus Christ walked out of Judaism, the heart of Judaism walked out with him. That's what we're looking at here. He walked out of Judaism. The heart of the religion, Judaism, was always a Messiah. When Jesus walked out of Judaism, the heart of Judaism went with it. And now we're Christians. Don't be confused on that. So verse 5 of Genesis 15, He brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. He said, If you can count the stars, Abram, Abram, it's the number of children you're going to have. A lot of faithful people in it, Dylan. Yeah. A ton of them. That's a big promise. And verse 6, we're going to look at. And he believed in the Lord. He believed what God told him. He had no proof. You can't prove that. No man in the world can prove that, can they, Dylan? No. It said he believed in the Lord. He didn't say he believed the Lord. He believed in the Lord. It's very important because when you say, I believe the Lord... God said it, I believe it. So, well, that's not believing in righteousness. That's a cliche. It's not worth even saying, frankly. But when he says here in verse 6, and when the, when the Holy Spirit records, and he believed in the Lord, what he's saying there is he believed in the Lord's righteousness. He believed in the ability of the Lord to keep his promise. He believed that the Lord being righteous could not tell a lie. He believed the Lord being righteous was immutable and could not change. We've somehow got this idea that God's changing every Sunday morning. There's some new thing going on every Sunday morning. God's doing it. God's not doing anything new. He's, he's immutable. He's righteous. He can't change. So if we don't understand righteousness and everything flowing down from that, we'll quickly, what, what they call in the scientific world, if, if, you're, if your axiom's incorrect or inaccurate, your corollaries will be too. If you're not based in your preaching and your teaching and your Bible study and your learning and your, your small groups or whatever, on God's righteousness, frankly, your your axiom is wrong. 
you're trying to get to some other health and wealth. That's why we end up with all these foolish gospel presentations or, or, or ideas of what the gospel is all about. The gospel is about the truth of righteousness. The gospel is simply the fact that God is righteous and redeemed mankind. If you, if you come right down to it, there's probably only, only three truths in the whole Bible. In the Old Covenant, it proves that man is unrighteous. That's pretty clear. All the rocks and the stones and the wiping out of people. It's rough back there in the Old Testament, Michael. Back in the Old Testament, we'd be stoned. Took the kids at Children's Museum down in Cincinnati. They had these fake rubbery stones. I was throwing them to the kids, acting like I was going to stone them. Like, if you're in the Old Covenant acting like this, I'd have to stone you. <clears throat> but again, the Bible really only contains these three truths. Man is unrighteous. God alone is righteous. And he's redeemed us by the power of his own righteousness. It all fits in there, all those three categories. But again, it's righteousness. I'm going to keep saying that because that's what the trilogy is all about. Is about righteousness. So back to verse 6. And he believed in the Lord, and look what happens. And the Lord, he accounted it, counted it to him for what? Righteousness. Righteousness. What we're going to see here is anybody that is listening to this has been redeemed, you were redeemed by faith. And you can say, I was redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ, right? We can say that. Yeah. The same exact statement would be, I was redeemed in putting my faith in God's righteousness, because that's exactly who Jesus is. He's the sent righteousness of God. He was the one God sent to give us righteousness. So I say, when I say I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe in Jesus Christ for as my Savior, my Redeemer, I believe in God's righteousness, because Jesus Christ was the righteous man, the righteous God that he sent. So we're probably going to end there for a definition or a little intro to righteousness. I would really, really like it. So we're going to record three of these, bang, 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 today. But hopefully whoever's listening to this will hear this podcast, and we won't publish the next one for maybe a week or so, Dylan, something yeah. like that. Man, we would like a little feedback. Um, fight the Good Fight 10 at fight the good fight 10 at Yahoo. Yep. That's the best communication yes. tool. Next In the next few weeks after this trilogy, we'll have a Twitter account. I've already set it up, but I have no idea what the handle is. I don't know I need my handle today. Um, but we certainly like your feedback. Um, again, questions, commentaries, whatever you want. We want to make this interactive. You know, the church is supposed to be a body. We all know the church is a body. You wouldn't know it on a Sunday morning. It looked like there's one guy up there and everybody else is just slumping around, but it's supposed to be an interactive body of people asking questions. We're not doing that a lot here yet, but that's certainly our goal for this podcast is to have more of a open form of questions and then kind of go from that just like the uh, the early church would have been. So that's what we have for part one of the uh, trilogy on righteousness. So God bless you. Reach out, and uh, we'll talk again soon.